This podcast is part of the Big Data Beards virtual race to Splunk.conf. Be sure to tune in to all the racing action by visiting youtube.com forward slash big data beard or simply visit bigdatabeard.com and click virtual race You're listening to the Big Data Beard. Hi, everybody. I'm Corey Minton, and I'm joined by my co-host, Brett Roberts, to have another great conversation as part of the Virtual Race to .conf series. Today's conversation is with our friend Joshua Parrish, Principal Field Applications Engineer for Aero Electronics. Joshua, thanks for being on the Big Data Beard podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Now, I got to ask you before we get started with anything too crazy. I know Arrow's got some amazing things to talk about, uh, about racing and some things that you're doing to use technology for good. But first, have you ever used a racing simulator like iRacing? Yes, I have. Oh, you gamer? Uh, yep, absolutely. All right. <laughs> All right. So what's your experience in these uh, GT3 cars? How legit hard are they to drive? They're pretty hard. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what's well, your uh, favorite track? Um, you know, I, I'm a really big fan of Laguna Seca. Oh, oh that's, that's, punishment then. <laughs> that corkscrew killed us every time. Right. Well, for those who maybe don't who just joined us, we are having a virtual racing series uh, this uh, this fall in uh, an excitement about Splunks.com. So the Big Data Beard team got together a bunch of our uh, favorite technology partners and uh, hosted a 10 race racing series using the iRacing platform. And uh, you can check out and find more information at bigdatabeard.com forward slash VR2C. That's the virtual race to comp. Well, Joshua, I, uh, I know you were involved in a, a really cool project called the SAM car. And SAM is an acronym that we would get into, but it's uh, it's really about a uh, uh, supporting a man named Sam. So would you mind just giving us a, a little bit of the history of the SAM car project? Yeah. So uh, the great news is I, I've been ha I have had a chance to be on the same car product since its inception. Um, so I've got to see kind of how we we've we've gotten where we started all the way to where we are now. Um, and the great thing is that uh, we can look at Sam and really focus in on what he wants. And what he wants is kind of similar to what most of uh, I think most gamers uh, and most people want, they want to be able to experience life at its fullest. Um, and for Sam, that's being a race car driver. So we really try to take a look at what he wants um, and design a, a, a vehicle uh, that gets him where he wants to be. And Sam always wants to be at the height of performance, um, right on the edge of what's possible. Uh, and so what we did is we delivered a car uh, that allows a quadriplegic person like Sam to drive at the best possible um, speeds and performance that we can provide. That is really cool. Uh, I want to I want to hear more from you, Joshua, about like the starting point. Like when you all had this idea when it was when it was first brought to you, like what was it like to be in the room? Was there a room? Was it like was it back when people got together and could actually be in the same room? What was that experience like? Yeah, uh, well, the great thing is, um, I didn't know this was ever going to develop into what it was. Uh, essentially, I, I was asked by a very good friend and, and boss uh, to just be part of a conversation and listen in and maybe provide some feedback as we go along. Um, so the idea uh, came to us um, from some folks that uh, knew some quadriplegics 
Uh, and those are people that are uh, affected in a way that don't have the ability to use their arms or legs um, in order to interact with the environment, right? Um, and so uh, we got to hear some of their stories and what they wanted to be able to do. Um, and one of the stories was Sam's. Uh, Sam had uh, got hurt um, in a racing accident um, and that left him uh, affected with quadriplegia. Uh, and uh, the idea was, what could we do to uh, to provide Sam something that uh, was, was like no other experience? Um, and from there, folks started talking about, well, why don't we put him back in a car? Uh, and you know, if we're going to put him back in a car, why don't we put him back in a really cool car, a car that's actually capable and performance driven. Um, and, uh, that led us, uh, to this idea of a, a race car. Well, why don't we put track uh, Sam on the track again? So he can experience all the things he used to, um, and, and really, you know, start looking for that, that edge again, that all racers tend to do. Um, and, uh, and that's really where this, uh, this idea took off from there. It just it just sprang into new versions, new capabilities as we gone throughout the years. Okay, so this project manifested as this idea to help support a you know former elite race car driver get back in the seat after this awful accident, which is awesome. I'm curious. Tell me a little bit about the the, the car platform that was chosen for uh, for the Sam car. Yeah, so like I was talking about, uh, we wanted to do a really great car. If you're going to put somebody back in a car, you might as well make it a cool car, right? Yeah, go all out, like, right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So you chose a, a Honda a Honda Civic, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> no, it's a it's a Volkswagen Jetta. That's all it is. <laughs> what we chose is, is your your muscle car, right? We we chose at the time the C7 Stingray was one of those um uh, for lack of a better way of saying it, one of those badass muscle cars that are available for anybody to drive, right? Absolutely. Um, and uh, and we thought we could we could make it even cooler. Um, so that's that's really where where we decided. We we talked about a few cars here and there, but it came down to having a muscle car that could be fast and fun to drive. Absolutely. So muscle car Corvettes are great on racetracks, so that's super fun. I'm curious though. The technology or really that I'm, I'm you know, really want to dig into is that, that interface, right? So how do you create an interface for a, a person facing quadriplegia? How do you create an interface that allows them to control a car, which for those of us who, you know, have driven cars, like you've got a steering wheel, you've got, you know, two pedals, sometimes three pedals, gear shifting. There's the world around you. Help me understand a little bit about the just the interface technology, because that to me seems like a, a pretty interesting engineering challenge to tackle. Yeah, so there's this philosophy in engineering called keep it simple. Uh, and the whole idea is to try to say, hey, look, if if you could have anyone try to just jump in um, and interface with, with whatever it happens to be, uh, in this case, a car, try to keep it as simple as possible. And that's the whole tack that we took. So uh, if you don't have use of your arms and legs... What can you use? Um, and we just go from there. So if you can use your head and move it all about, well, how far can you move it? Can you move it just at 50 degrees or can you move it, you know, almost 80 degrees? Um, can you put your chin down? Uh, how much movement do you have in your jaws and, and things like that? It's really about trying to scope uh, what our potential driver could do. 
Um, and as we go along looking for what's available uh, in their body and what kind of capabilities that they have, we try to match an interface uh, that's, uh, that's capable of using um, that input to steer a car. So um, in this case, in the, in the latest revisions, um, we've used a sip and puff interface. It's a super common interface for a lot of quadriplegic uh, people. They use it on their wheelchairs uh, in almost every normal day practice. Um, so that's a, that's a, you know, keep it simple idea, right? If they're already used to it, why not put it in the car? We'll, we'll assign it gas and brake. Seems pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the steering, it's a little bit more complicated. Not a lot of people have ever driven with their heads, right? Um, but when we try to think about how we all drive, we tend to look where we're going. Um, and with that, we have the idea of, well, why don't we design something that allows um, our driver to look where they're going and the car reacts to that same steering, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, as the the driver operates their head and, and moves their head around a um, what we call a yaw um, position, uh, we allow the, the steering of the car to match the same angle as the head. So where they look, the car follows. So are you using something like, uh, like position sensors or like cameras? How, how are you getting that input from head movement? As of today, we use uh, sunglasses, um, and this is kind of a, what, what in the industry is called a rigid body. It's something that doesn't flex around too much. It's not a soft body. Um, and we put multiple uh, what's called infrared sensors on there. Some people might be familiar with them, especially in the gaming industry, as motion capture dots or mocap dots. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we have cameras that look at those dots and shine uh, infrared light at it. Um, and as the light shines on those dots, it lights them up. It, it, it's, uh, it's like taking a black and white image and only having those dots appear. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what happens is we track those dots in real time. Uh, and as the head uh, moves around in the yaw position, we can say, okay, the glasses, because they're on the head, are moving around at that position. And that's the angle that we drive the car with. Very cool. Now, obviously, with something of, of this nature, where uh, with the speed and just kind of the, the the danger, the inherent danger of you know race car driving, there's a, a lot of need for testing and validation. So, talk a little bit about what you guys did from ideation through development, but really testing this to make sure that there was a low margin of error before getting Sam in the car to actually go and race. Yeah. So the number one thing we want to do is never put anybody in danger. It. it, it it's, it's great to put somebody in the car and have them drive around a track, but if they're not safe doing it, nobody wants to be a part of something that could potentially be a disaster, right? Um, so in the beginning, we do a lot of tests with just parking. Um, so we have the car stalled, uh, and we look at what the car can do um, just from sitting in a garage and, and operating the car and, 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 uh, and its normal steering habits and trying to do the gas brake. Uh, once that those tests are really complete, we can show that we can operate all the way through uh, the stages of having a hard gas or a hard brake, um, all the way to light touches, just to go down to all the way um, where most racers want a little bit of performance uh, versus not. It, 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 for most people, it's called resolution, um, and this this allows us to touch every one of the potential uh, gauges in the car, so to say. Uh, and after we get done with parking, we move out to slow tests. So this is, you know, 
backing up in a garage, going forward, maybe going outside in the parking lot and slowly operating in the vehicle in a five mile per hour, maybe 35 mile per hour tops mm-hmm. uh, area. And, and that allows us to prove out that the main functions of the car work really well. Uh, I, we, we had a saying at one time, if it can get through a school zone, you can probably perform pretty well on a racetrack in the very beginning. <laughs> um, so uh, that, that, was, that was how we designed our test to begin with. Uh, as we got faster and faster and more capable, um, we really needed places to go to, to really prove out whether or not the, the vehicle was capable of what it was, what we were designing. Um, and with that, uh, we always needed a co-driver to either take the wheel if the system decided to have issues or maybe faults on it. Um, and, uh, we designed the original system to allow that co-driver to brake or gas independently, um, of the driver. Mm-hmm. So in other words, there's somebody always in the vehicle, just like your, uh, your driving instructor that you might've had, um, how they're always capable of grabbing that wheel and slowing the car to a stop. We have the same thing in the SAM car. Uh, and that, that's just to really make sure that we always have the safest environment possible. Um, and as we've we've gone up, we've uh, we've moved from engineers being that co-driver to professional uh, race car drivers, uh, people that have you know won several events uh, in their lifetime. Um, and the great thing about that is that as Sam gets to know that driver, they start to form a bond, mm-hmm. um, and it's a bond that uh, I think engineers would love to have with race car drivers, um, but it's just not possible. You really got to get into the uh, the two hearts is one kind of concept. Um, and on our latest performance driving, I, I think it really shows that they can trust each other uh, and how, how close they get to the wall or how you know close they push the limits of the vehicle. Uh, and that really lets Sam take, perform, uh, take control of all the performance that the vehicle has to offer. That's awesome. So one of the things I think that's, that's interesting in the, in the automotive world in general, right? There's, there's two sort of macro, um, elements of innovation that I want to get your perspective on how it's going to affect the same car. One of those is really, you know, autonomous driving, right? There's a lot of trends towards making driving autonomous, which to me is somebody who's like really into cars. Like I am, I'm of kind of two minds about it, right? And one, I'm simultaneously like sweet on those trips where I don't want to drive. I can just like check out, play with my phone, do something, be productive and don't have to drive. But on the other side, it's like, but yeah, I like driving still. So I don't want to lose that wonderful feel. So, so that's kind of one. And then the other is just this, there's a lot of, uh, you know, uh, automation overrides in car performance today. So how are you balancing those innovations to still one, do something very interesting to give Sam the ability to, as you said, sort of at the end there to really pull the most from the car, but also give him every opportunity to succeed and, and like I said, be sort of competitive at getting the most out of the car without taking the experience away. Yeah, so uh, to go back to the name of the project itself, it's semi-autonomous motor car, right? So we do try to inject some autonomy in the car itself. Um, whether or not uh, it's at a little bit of a performance degradation to Sam, is something we constantly kind of battle at. Sam always wants the most performance, but we want to make sure that he always has control. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So uh, I I think a lot of racers would be familiar with the idea of smoothing. 
um, mm-hmm. especially on something like a, a, a steering concept, right? Um, so we have we 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 kind of constantly battle over the idea of how much smoothing we're allowing for this new track or or, or new new concept that we're look, we're working on, um, and that uh, that smoothing affects how the car's performance is driven. Uh, we originally started off with 20 frames of smoothing, where it really doled down Sam's Sam's capabilities. You know, you can't get incredibly close to a wall if you know uh, even a couple milliseconds earlier you were trying to turn away or into the wall. Um, so what we've now settled on is only just a few frames of smoothing to really push Sam to that limit. And like I said before, one of the largest uh, components of our safety feature is having that co-driver that really knows how to, how to help Sam push it to the limit. Right. Um, So we inject a little bit of autonomy, so to say. Um, But most folks that race for a living, they don't want that. They would never want it. No. Um, and it's really more us engineers that are trying to um, give a little bit more um, safety to the idea. Um, and and I, I'd, I'd probably stop with that because I, I uh, part of me really wants autonomy, just like you're saying. I, I, I've always wanted to just sit back in a car um, and get to my destination. But when I want to make a car go to its highest performance, autonomy is just simply yeah. an option. I'll be honest, the, if, if autonomous vehicles start anywhere, for me, it's an autonomous RV. Like, that right. would be so awesome to be able to to sit in the back. Like, last year we did this road trip to the conference. Like, to have all three of us be able to sit at the table and just be, like, cranking away on content. Or, like, if you take your family and you could, you know, be playing cards in the back with all four. Like, you would not need an airplane for anything other than, like, transatlantic or transpacific transportation. Because it would be awesome. Right, man, Corey. It's been 365 days exactly, and you're still complaining about driving that darn RV. What's it going to stop? It's never going to stop. I'm I'm scarred for life, my friend. <laughs> no, so I'm curious. You know, we're talking you know high performance, and it speeds you know 200 miles per an hour. You know, latency obviously becomes a little bit of a concern uh, when we're talking about uh, steering and braking and and even accelerating. So, what are some of the things that you're doing, and how is Sam designed to make sure that there aren't lags, or that the lags are such that it's not going to make it even more dangerous for for the driver? Yeah, so the smoothing concept is is a big one, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, slowing that down and when we're trying to hit uh, top speed zones, it is just not an option to have that many frames be smoothed in, right? Mm-hmm. So we really have to cut it down. Um, other things that we're doing is uh, some folks that are uh, afflicted with quadriplegia, um, they actually get um, seizures uh, in their normal day life and they come out of nowhere. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the, the largest things that we get asked is what if somebody sneezes? Well, uh, the great thing is a lot of seizures and a lot of sneezes happen in a downward movement. So something like this, uh, mm-hmm. where you move the, the top of the head, um, and chin, um, towards the, the bottom of the floor. Right. Um, and, uh, the great news is we've eliminated a lot of that because we're only looking at the head pose um, in a yaw perspective, which means um, when you move your head left to right and making sure that your head stays upright, um, that's called yaw. Um, and so nobody sneezes by, uh, you know, 
flicking their head all around to the left and right as they go. Although I'm going to try next time I sneeze. (laughs) You know, you actually might hurt yourself, so I would advise against it. (laughs) My chiropractor is going to hate me for that. (laughs) Because I've actually tried to do that to try to simulate what happens. But uh, but in seizures, they happen in the same way. Um, so uh, we we guard a lot uh, against a lot of these uh, possibilities by simply ignoring them um, in our driving scheme. Uh, and that works out really well. Some things that we can't um, ignore in, in our driving scheme is, uh, uh, you know, there's this common conception of, well, what if you want to talk to somebody that's outside of your driver's window or something like that, and you have the car actively going. Well, if you look left, the car will steer left. Um, And so what we have to do is we have to look at, well, how much of a jump was it? Because nobody ends up just jerking the wheel left or right and still maintains control in in a lot of uh, scenarios, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I I guess the common idea is if you jerk left or right at 200 miles per hour, you're probably going to have a bad day. Um, so we do guard against those types of sudden movements, um, but uh, up to a certain point, right? We, we don't want to take up too much control uh, and too much performance from our driver. Um, so we have to choose those points very carefully. And that comes with a lot of tests and simulation that we talked about before. Very cool. So I'm curious, you know, from a, from a data perspective, this thing's obviously creating, you know, lots of data and in real time, what are some of the, the sources of data or the most interesting data that's been helpful to, you know, identify performance? And I ask only because we've been, you know, we were doing this virtual race and there's all this telemetry coming off. And I'm curious if you have any secrets on, you know, how Sam's able to drive that car so well and uh, what data you were looking at to help him do that. Yeah, so uh, one of the most interesting uh, details as we uh, control the car is um, we get our gas and brake values from sip and puff. And mm-hmm. uh, that's your, your or your, um, a- as you, you breathe into a tube. Uh, but that data is all pressure-related data. Um, how long you can sustain a certain pressure. Well, something... Um, that was, wasn't super obvious in the beginning that Sam was going to do is uh, just like any kid has ever done. Um, they've taken their straw um, and they've, uh, they put their finger on it and then lifted the straw out. And, you know, you got a little bit of water in there and you shoot it at somebody or something like that. Um, Sam puts his tongue on the top of the, the straw um, and that stops the pressure. And for a little while, we couldn't figure out how Sam was maintaining this constant pressure. Uh, for a long time. And, and while it sounds geeky and nerdy, uh, it actually took us a little while to find it in the data and figure out that, yeah, he's just putting his tongue on it and we should make it that whole system a little bit easier. So um, it's something that, that may or may not be apparent in driving this way is it actually takes a lot of lung performance mm-hmm. to drive uh, with a sip and puff. So you're constantly doing breath exercises. And if you operate the car for more than an hour or so, your, your mouth and your lips are just exhausted with the amount of pressure that goes on. Um, so we develop ways to deal with that pressure and that constant pressure um, that doesn't require them to maintain it um, just by themselves. So I, I, I think to me, that was one of the things we found in the data that was kind of a nugget, so to say, and we were able to make the car even better. from it. Very cool. Now, you put a lot of technology into this really slick Corvette. I'm curious if you have like a personal favorite piece of technology that was like the most 
you know, influential or transformative to the project overall? Yeah. Um, well, uh, so I, I really like uh, the control ac- aspects of the car. So um, I happen to have been a large part in the design of the guidance computer itself. And, and of course, I have a lot of pride over that. But in fact, I, I wouldn't say that's my favorite part of the car. Uh, one of my coworkers, Grace, uh, came up with a concept of putting those mocap cap dots on the sunglasses. And I don't know about you guys, but I wear sunglasses pretty much anytime I drive, sometimes even at night. Cause they're cool. <laughs> Sometimes inside, cause your future's so bright, right? <laughs> um, and so uh, that concept where uh, we kind of uh, we took this cool aspect of driving um, and we used it to to literally drive the car with, I think speaks to the the, the cool aspects and the really fun portions of being an engineer on this project. Absolutely. Well, one of the best things about being an engineer, and I'm sure you get excited about is like, what's the next thing that you're working on? So give us a little bit of a preview of kind of what are the exciting things that you're working on and the team's working on to continue the awesome uh, impacts that you're having with the SAM project? Yeah, so uh, we we were going towards um, artificial intelligence. And I know that's a buzzword for a lot of people. But for us, it could literally mean life or death. So we have to take it as seriously as possible. Uh, my coworkers, uh, Stephen Harper and Joshua Willis, are developing a system where uh, we still use cameras uh, to try to make decisions about steering. But we're trying to use less of them and make them a little bit more hidden. Uh, we talked about before having infrared dots uh, be lit up from infrared lamps um, that are in our cameras, right? And we don't, the size of those lamps um, along with the camera sensors themselves really uh, start to take over the the field that the driver can see. Um, So we want to mitigate that by potentially putting in uh, smaller cameras that don't rely on infrared and and maybe have some low light aspects as well. Um, And then have uh, artificial intelligence algorithms to discern the head pose of the driver. And then therefore, if we can determine the head pose just from uh, algorithms themselves, we can steer the car to that same angle that the head was uh, postured at. Um, so uh, that that's our big goal right now. We're, we're capturing data like crazy um, in order to do this. As you guys know, um, data is everything uh when it comes to artificial intelligence um so uh while we build these algorithms we're constantly training our new models to try to try to take advantage of anything that we might have missed on our our first couple training sets right um and it's it's a really great process to look in um to how artificial intelligence works uh because uh the coolest thing is it's like training a little kid to do something. You have to show them over and over and over again exactly how it's done. Um, and, and, and some people just think about it as magic, but really it comes down to just thinking about things on a simple level and showing it over and over again. Um, and that that's the phase we're in now is just capturing data like crazy. Well, Josh, I'm curious. This project sounds like it's not just about Sam driving the car. It sounds like you're really providing something that is uh, accessible and provides accessibility. I'm curious, how do people get involved to learn more about the project or interact with all the cool stuff you're doing? Yeah, the best thing about the SAM car is that it's open to everyone. Um, So one of the first things that you can do is uh, check out the links that are posted with this show, and you'll see that there's an Aero SAM car link. Go to it, uh, look at what's available, 
and reach out to us. Uh, we want to get you in the car if possible. Uh, we want we want you to experience what it's like, uh, and 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 we'd like you to be a part of this project, um, no matter who you are. So please don't hesitate to reach out. Very cool. Well, I, I want to say one thank you to you, Joshua, for sharing with us the story of the Sam car and a big thanks to Arrow uh, one for partnering with uh, with us on this virtual race to conf. But uh, honestly, I am I'm blown away. I had the personal chance to uh, attend a uh, one of the uh, the immersion events that Arrow did a few years ago and hear Sam speak uh, in person. And for those of you who really haven't investigated and know this project and know the story behind Sam Schmidt and this amazing the work that the team at Arrow is doing, I highly encourage you. We'll put some links in the in the blog post and the show notes for you to check it out. But it is an amazing work of art, and it is one of my favorite things because it's it's technology racing uh and ai and data and it's doing something good for people who deserve it so joshua thanks so much for being on the uh, big data beard podcast and i invite everybody to check out the virtual race to conf and come enjoy some of the virtual racing as we uh, as we race to sports.conf 20 thank you for listening to the big data beard podcast on our virtual race to dot conf 2020 for more information and to see all of the virtual race content, check out bigdatabeard.com forward slash VR2C. Special thanks to our partners, Splunk, Dell Technologies, Red River, Hippo Digital, Intel, Arrow, and McLaren.